and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the amazing nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, Tamara Herman. Hi. And S.M. Rosenberg. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about love, slash romance, slash shipping, slash all that good stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I hope you guys buckle up. This is going to be an interesting ride. Uh, but as always, we're going to start off with our obsessions. Um, who wants to go first? I'm actually going to ask this time. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Okay. SM, go ahead. Okay. So my current obsession is, uh, designated survivor. What? I was totally unaware um... from social media that you were interested in this show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I haven't made that many posts. I've made like maybe three posts over the past like couple weeks about it, but I think that's a, a big underestimation over there. Honestly, I like actually went back through my social media feed and I was like, there's a surprising few posts about that and like considerably more posts about like politics. <laughs> uh, well, yes. I think I posted more <laughs> about the Gillette ad. um yeah but i posted about it um a a bunch of times because i had many thoughts um and other people apparently have many thoughts and are waiting for me to catch up because i'm only in the beginning of season two now but the premise of this show is Kiefer sutherland aka jack bauer from 24 um is the designated survivor as in he was the one person who was assigned not to be at the state of the union address um and then the capitol blew up taking with the president congress the cabinet all the supreme court justices which means that in this timeline ruth bader ginsburg is dead which is very sad um, and he is just yeah <laughs> he's just only one left and so jenner becomes president and He's very, very different, Jack Bauer, in many, many ways. Like, my mom was like, he's so, he's so different. I, I was watching the show, I was like, that Jack Bauer, he looks exactly the same, but he's like, he's calm. <laughs> I'm like, yes, he's very calm. Like, I feel like the biggest adjective that comes to mind when I think about his character is that he's cuddly, which is not what you come up with when you think of Jack Bauer. Um, who was extremely violent and tortured everybody, and this character, his president, doesn't even consider torture. Like, it's just off the table, and he doesn't consider extreme measures. He is always trying to find some kind of peaceful compromise and solution, and it might be unrealistic to the point where he manages to find it more often than not, um, even in this very, very tense and stressful situation that he's been thrown into. Um, and his character is just very, he's like everybody's father and everybody's grandfather. Um, and I just really enjoy watching him. And I like the characters around him. I was talking about this with one of my brothers, and he said that, like, yeah, I like the characters around him, but if Kiefer Sutherland wasn't on the show anymore, I wouldn't watch. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, he's like, he anchors this show, and the plot lines in the beginning, are super duper intense where uh, in the beginning of season two things have kind of tailed off and the stakes feel much lower and there doesn't feel like there's imminent danger to him anymore um, but 
I've heard from people that it gets crazy again, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and it was canceled um, by the network that it was airing on, but Netflix has picked it up for a season three. But I don't know when exactly that's supposed to come out, but I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Um, yeah, that is my current obsession. <laughs> I also just saw that Korea is going to be doing a remake of this of designated survivor. That's so cool, but like not set in Korea because they don't have a designated survivor. Yes, set in Korea. There, they'll they'll figure it out. Um, I forgot oh, who. That's really cool. I'm totally <laughs> watching that. This actor's Jason He actor Jason He's going to be doing it. Who's um, hold on, I'm looking at the plot right now. Um, yeah, it just seems like one day high-ranking government officers are gathered, but he's not there. I don't know why he's not there. This is what the this is what the like drama wiki says. But, yeah, so one of it, the conspiracies of the show is how he got to be the designated survivor. So they might do that also. So uh, they don't want to why give it away. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've ever watched this guy in anything, but he seems pretty legit. Um, but yeah, that's a cool thing. So Tamar, do you want to give us your? Um, yeah, sure. My, you don't want to go with Hoffers? Uh, no, you, you go, because because I I need to still uh, rein myself in. And... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so mine's a kind of an obvious choice considering how popular it is, but I really 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 love Into the Spider Verse, which is so good. like such such a surprise because I don't particularly like Spider Man as like a superhero. Like I think he's kind of kitschy, and I never understood like and still don't really understand why he's like the most popular superhero like it just doesn't make any sense to me personally but i i understand that he is so that's why we keep on getting these spider-man films but like this one was like the first time i saw a spider-man film and i was just like oh this makes sense this is why we needed a spider-man film um so i love miles morales and i love the whole ensemble um yeah i just really love it the animation was the first time the first time, I don't want to say too many spoilers because I know SM and not everybody listening has seen it yet, but, like, you should go and watch it. Like, I don't, and watch it in big screen. Like, I don't care what it takes. Like, I will pay for a $5 AMC movie ticket for someone on a Tuesday if they really need to go. Like, if, like, they really can't go. I want people to see this movie. I think, I think it it shows, I don't know, I, th I think it shows some nuances to Spider-Man that, like, hasn't been shown on the big screen which I'm, I'm sure comic book people were just like well we already knew that and i'm just like okay well i didn't want i didn't read them um <laughs> but like i think it was just a really fun look at like what it means to be spider-man and who is spider-man and like what it means to be a superhero in like 20 i guess it came out at the end of, in 2018 um because like miles isn't you know just like a buff white guy figuring his way like who who everything comes to him naturally like he's this little scrawny afro-latina kid um and it, like i think there's a really like i think it's a really great storyline for now like his dad's a cop and like his uncle is not like you have all this stuff going on i can't i just heard the hate you give and like it's really weird but it, there's a lot of parallels to this where like in the hate you give it's her uncle who's the cop and her dad who's like the i don't know he, he like is part of like he he's like an ex like gang member so like it's kind of like a similar parallels and i happen to like watch the movie and then read the hate you give which i think everyone should go read that's also my obsession but like you should go read the hate you give like i don't 
I will buy books for people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Into the Spider-Verse is the first time ever that I've like seen a movie and I'm like, wow, I should have seen this in 3D. I hate 3D. But this movie was so beautifully made and like the graphics were so so gorgeous and like I just wanted to keep staring at them forever like I think I'm gonna go watch it again which I never rewatch movies but I just think it was such a well done movie like even like even though like okay maybe it's a quote unquote kids movie because it's animated and like it's not you know like one of those like animated movies that are meant to be raunchy and anything like it's it's it is kind of more youth oriented I think maybe than some other Spider-Man movies or some superhero movies that are coming out nowadays but I don't think it makes it a kids movie like it is I don't know I just think it's so important for people to see this movie because it really just like looks deep into like what it means to be a, a hero and I know that's stupid and like I know that's like what every Spider-Man movie does but this one actually I felt like it did it yeah I agree that's my rant go it's... watch Into the Spider-Verse and read The Hate You Give it's it's a very human movie, uh-huh. and it's also hilariously funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it has John Mulaney as one of the voices. Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like when when you're saying like very humane, like you know, like you get to see all these different sides to like Peter Parker. You know, Peter Parker, we've literally had like six, six and a half, six, seven movies worth of content in the past like two decades about Peter Parker. Like, between the Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and all the Marvel movies, and Sony, whatever that is. Um, like, we have so many different Peter Parkers, but I still was watching, I was like, oh, Peter, new side to you. Like, I think I think he did a really good job. Yeah, like you said, like, being more, like, humanistic towards the characters than some of the other superhero movies nowadays. Yeah, and it also, it doesn't, one of my favorite things about it is that, like, yeah, I guess it's, like, technically a, a kid's movie. There are jokes for grown-ups in the movie, but they're not, like, it's not like Shrek, where it's like, oh, this is actually a dirty joke, but, like, the kids won't get it, but the parents will get it. Ha 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 ha. It's, like, the, the jokes that are aimed at adults are just based on the experience. It's like, like, oh my god, I'm exhausted, please just let me go to sleep. <laughs> like, it's that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated that so much. It like it respects every single one of its characters, every single one, and the animation is gorgeous. And yeah, I mean, I've actually I've had that same instinct tomorrow. I've been like, so, I have a friend who's like, oh, I haven't seen it yet, and I'm 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 like this close to being like, here's five dollars, just go see the movie. <laughs> so SM, go see the movie. Um, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so for my, uh, obsession, and anybody who's seen my Twitter feed recently won't be surprised by this, um, it's Shtisel, which is an Israeli show that aired, I think, in, like, 2013, um, and has recently come to Netflix and is, uh, has taken my life by storm, because it is, like, the craziest, most amazing, like, addictive drama thing that I've ever seen and I I never expected that to happen in a show about uh Haredi people um it's basically like it, it's hard to encapsulate exactly what the show is about but like the basic premise is that um it's there's a family their their name is Stiesel the youngest son is the only one who's not married and he lives with his father because his mother passed away recently and um he everybody's pressuring him to get married and he doesn't really know what he wants out of life 
and then he uh, meets the mother of one of his uh, students in the class that he's uh, temporarily covering for and um, falls in love with her and she's a she's a widow and um, she's played by if anyone's seen Daredevil's uh, she's played by the uh, actress who plays Vanessa oh yeah I've, yeah, I've seen her, and she's in Hostages also, which is a different Israeli show. She's a very, very uh, big Israeli actress. Yeah, yeah, she's and she's a great actress, and it's so interesting to see like she's in a shaitel, and <laughs> it's like a legit shaitel, <laughs> and it's it's so like the the show is a. I mean, it's brilliantly well written. It's also incredibly like they never they never do that thing where they're like, oh, we're gonna show how Haredi life is bad or we're going to show how Haredi life is amazing you know it's just their lives that they live and there are like good parts to it there are bad parts to it um, there's family dysfunction tons of it that has nothing to do with you know religiousness it's just you know manifestations of it um, my favorite character is um, one of the main character's sisters Akiva uh, so uh, his sister Gitty is like every like like badass Jewish lady who nobody would expect is a badass you've ever met like it's it reminds me so much of being in seminary and um just like seeing you know obviously I was in an Anglo setting but like um you know the the atmosphere the doors with people's names on them um the, just the, the the rhythms of the show are so familiar and beautifully done and I I love it I adore it to tiny little pieces <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm almost done with the season and just to, as, a, as a sign of how good it is um, my friend uh, who lives in England who is not Jewish is obsessed with it and she has like sped ahead of me and so has my mother and my mother does not watch a ton of TV at all but she is like like zoomed right ahead so um, I'm like I'm the one who's like hiding my ears from spoilers now so seriously, cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, it's it's incredible, and plus, like, uh, because it's it's set in like a from setting, there are things that like they don't explain that like will get that like they can't translate in dialogue. So in like the first episode, um, the grandmother uh, moves into an assisted living home, and she decides to get a television because. One of the ladies down the hall has the box with the people in it, and she she wants to have one too, and she starts watching soap operas. And you can every time like her son and her grandson like walk into the room, you can see the color drain from their face, and they're just like, <laughs> "What is going on?" Like there's a whole plot line where like her grandson tries to get her to go to a sheer, and she's like, "No, excuse me, the bold and the beautiful is on." <laughs> it's amazing. It is incredible. So that is that is my. Rants. I'm glad we, we all had something we're, like, genuinely obsessed with this time, which is awesome. So, shall we move on to the stories of love and romance and shipping? Sure. I think we should. Cool. So, where do we want to start? Because I, it's interesting, like, I'm excited to talk about this because this is a topic that I almost feel like I have to approach academically. Because if you asked me, like, something that I enjoy in fiction, romance would be very down low on the list, but I know that's, like, that makes me a super weirdo, <laughs> especially in some of the, the genres I read, like, YA fiction, romance is a big part of that, um, 
So I don't know. What 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 are your guys like opening thoughts on romance and in fiction and fandom? Well, I I I can go first and say that I feel like a lot of my opinion of romance will depend on how it is done in the particular work. Like if it's done really well and I relate to the characters and I relate to the uh, the longing and the yearning to get together and the obstacles and I you know and I feel like that part of it is compelling then then I'm then I'm in all the way and if I just don't care about one or the other of the characters or if everything feels contrived then it just it's it's a waste of time so the romance romance itself as, as a concept I don't have like a hard set opinion on it it all depends on how it's done hmm. what about you Tamar um, I'm a big romance reader. I'm probably the biggest romance reader here. Like, I own like, <laughs> probably like five thousand dollars worth of romance novels. Um, and when I'm in LA every year, I do like an annual trek to the romance bookstore, the Rifbatas. Um By the way, I was just um, our our mutual friend who uh, is obsessed with the Rifbatas also mm-hmm. um, was, just came over yesterday, and I was like, you know what? There should be a fantasy bookstore. I was like, it should be called the Dragon's Lair, and we should have this. <laughs> so that's another idea that I have. <laughs> but, sure, but carry on. <laughs> you should you should do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think I'm probably and like I watch a lot of like when I watch like uh, K dramas, like Korean television shows, like nine out of ten of them are like romance based. Um, I'm actually not as interested in those. Yeah, on K dramas, like romance is often a plot of many of them like that's the main point like it's a romantic drama um and sometimes it's really well done but lately i guess i haven't been enjoying so many of those so i've been watching a few other ones um with like more less less like romance based plots um but in general yeah i i love i love love um i'm not really into like rom-coms or romantic movies i think don't really do it well there's never like enough time to really develop a relationship like there's a reason the bbc had to release like a six hour version of pride and prejudice yes <laughs> i mean to be fair so i actually think i actually think that the pride and prejudice with kira knightley is honestly one of the best movie ad- adaptions of a book ever um so like i think like if you don't want to sit down for the six hour one the kira knightley one it does a really good job also um but but that's so hard and so rare you know to really show the development of a relationship in like two hours so i think books tend to sometimes do a better job um i mean i read a lot of romance novels and so many of the times like people are just like oh you're just reading it for the sex and i'm like no that's there's like actual plot and i there's this really interesting thread on twitter that i saw the other day that was saying that because romance itself isn't a genre like it i mean it is a genre but it's not a a narrative like you need to have a plot so no romance writer is actually a romance writer. They're a whatever writer that they're writing, and romance is the tool that they're doing. For, so they're like a historical fiction writer, or they're a fantasy writer, or they're a sci-fi writer, or they're you know like a mystery writer. But they're uh, a, a historical fiction romance writer or a mystery romance writer. Like they're not. They're they're practicing so many different skill sets when coming up with these stories because romance itself is. Is, is the end game for them but like the plot needs a narrative too 
and because of that like you have to think it was a really interesting thread about just like coming up with romance novel characters because it could be so simple just to be like girl boy fall in love end of book but like you don't want to read thousands of those these are read there are thousands of these coming out a day like um so like why do people keep reading them like if the plots are so you know boy girl meet they probably fight a bit and then there's some trouble and like okay the happy ending um or or not just boy girl because nowadays thankfully like they're getting some more diversity and um romance novel writing but like the idea was that like every single writer who considers themselves a romance author is actually you know like having to redefine what they are as a writer all the time by trying to like keep progressing and not just rewriting the exact same plot because what are there there's only what is it 36 plots in fiction yeah i think that's what like some people say i think aristotle said there were like four (laughs) (laughs) um so like with romance there's like you know um like four (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i guess i really love love um i don't like when love like becomes a tool this is like i know like i'm probably supposed to be we're probably going to go into discussion and we're going to be like these are our famous romance our favorite romance plots ever and i'm probably going to just sit here like i don't really can't think of any that are particularly good to talk about um but i can think of one book that really got me mad about its romance plot because it just like how i've been talking about how like the romance novels in general like you know they have to have a wider plot than just romance so the same thing holds opposite i think if it's not a romance novel so like I don't know if either of you read Children of um, Blood and Bone by Tomi Adyemi. Uh, I read about, I heard about it. Okay, so I think you should all go read it. It's really a really, really fascinating take. Like, she um, pretty much, she, like, takes, um, like, racism and, like, I don't remember which African culture it is. And, like, she, she uses it to magic and, like, makes it about, like, genocide. And it's a really fascinating young adult uh, fantasy novel. But halfway through, instead of, like, the romance being, like, a subplot, the romance becomes the plot. And I'm just sitting here, like, that's not what I wanted. Um, I so, like, it I, sort of happened in Divergent also. Yeah, I mean, and Hunger Games. <laughs> I, I think that's, like, such a big flaw of of writing romance is that like we kind of at a certain point because it's so popular a lot of the times like I don't know if that's an editorial decision or if that's just the way the writer writes or the what the writer wanted but like because we kind of pigeonhole as yes romance stories have to be this certain way like I was reading a book last night um shoot what was it um uh Natasha Nan's Girls of Paper and Fire um And it's pretty much this book where there's, like, a classist system and people who are, like, the poorest paper class, um, like, they get picked a bunch of girls and they essentially become concubines for the king. And this one girl doesn't like it. And, like, halfway through I realized, oh, there's no romantic plot. This is a really cool story because, like, wow, I haven't read – I've only ever read one other, um, like, uh, fantasy novel where the the character is, like, aromantic or asexual or something. Um, And then, like, it's, like – no, we're going to slip in this lesbian subplot here, and then we're going to take over the entire rest of the plot of the book. And, like, I thought that was really great for representation, except that, like, it wasn't building up the entire time. So maybe someone else read it differently than me. I was reading this at, like, 4 a.m. when I couldn't sleep. But I just, I, I don't like when, it's especially something in young adult fantasy novels, that, like, sometimes 
you set up like I've noticed this as a trend recently that the author spends like the first half of the book setting up the narrative about what's going on and the big issue that needs to like be saved the day by the heroes and then like switches over to a romance plot I don't know sometimes I kind of feel like it's like so they can have multiple books in the series like they have to like draw out the main plot and I'm wondering now as I'm talking about this if this is because like a book doesn't necessarily know if it has an extension like into a sequel when it's first written and this is like the way that they do it okay yeah. I remember a lot sorry <laughs> no I mean YA is just to divert for a sec like YA is a, a very tricky genre partly because I think of, of the business side of it um but I I absolutely agree with you tomorrow like I think that I I'm you know I I don't read romance novels like I don't think I've ever read a a novel that somebody handed to me and was like, this is a, a love story. Um, really? and I read it. I, yeah. I have a cold, a very cold, stone cold heart. <laughs> there are some that are really, really good. I know. And, and the thing is like, also, I, I think part of it, part of it's interesting to me just in terms of socially speaking, like it's very, you know, that whole thing, like if women, if, if something is predominantly produced and, and enjoyed by women, then it'll be culturally devalued. Then like, and that's absolutely true with romance and it's and, and romance writing and romance stories. And it's very difficult for me to navigate that space between like, I think I don't like this, but then also like society definitely tells me that I shouldn't like this. So, um, I mean, there, you know, and, and, and that, you know, if you write something that is romantic, uh, it is, you know, less valuable or less important um, because, you know, Charles Dickens never wrote any romance or anything like that. Yeah. neither did Shakespeare, Shakespeare. yeah right yeah <laughs> they were totally yeah um but the the interesting thing to me like I, I do think that you're right in terms of um like the the ratio of it I think like what I've, I've mentioned the series many many times before but like Megan Whelan Turner's The Thief series actually has a fairly prominent romance I did um, not like it I did not like the romance. I, I, at all. I know. <laughs> so many problems with that romance. Oh my god. But but I do. I I like like and she has multiple romantic stories happening, um, and I I actually enjoy those quite a bit. And I think part, well part of the reason is because I'm I'm weird and one of my like personal predispositions for enjoying an, a relationship is that these people have to know each other first. Like I don't want anybody falling in love at first sight. I don't care. Like leave me alone. Um, but. Um, it's also very much tied into the politics and the mysticism and it's, it's all kind of like of a piece. And you also have a feeling in her books that the romance could happen or it could not happen, you know, and like the story would kind of continue either way, um, which is very appealing to me. But, um, but I, I, I'm a huge shipper of like some of the couples in, in her books and it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what men are telling me not to like. <laughs> what I'm like telling myself. Oh, don't listen to them. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like, I feel like, like, when I heard you talk about that, it was like, kind of, I was just sitting here like, wow, like, somehow, like, everything that, like, I do as, like, a fandom person, because I do consider romance a fandom. Like, there are communities built around romance novels, and they're, like, really pop typically really positive communities um but like i write about pop music and boy bands and i all day long and like i read romance and i don't know like 
half of my life is spent being frustrated with the ideas that women's content geared towards women is lesser. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, it's a huge problem. Like, it really is. And I think, was it, like, Kevin Smith or something who, like, wrote this whole ode to, like, girls who love um, um, One Direction? And it was, like, very powerful. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. These teenage girls that everybody makes fun of, they defined this culture. And they, like... Oh, yeah. So, like, comparing it to, like, the Beatles. The Beatles were only the Beatles because they had this massive following of young women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so to get a little specific, um, what do we, what do we like think either, either like a story specifically or a romance specifically that you guys think, uh, exhibits positive qualities or things that does, doesn't have to be good. It could be a bad relationship, but a good mm -hmm. story. Yeah. There are a lot. That's another thing that I feel like is part of this conversation of liking romance versus not is when romances are irresponsibly or abusively depicted but they are romanticized nonetheless mm. like in twilight you know like there are girls who are like i want a boyfriend who cares enough about me to take the engine out of my car and it's like no you don't <laughs> you really don't <laughs> that's that's not not a good idea um but also then there's the the flip side of romance i feel in in books and like being able to to explore those kinds of problematic and toxic relationships in a safe way where no one gets hurt. Um, like, I was thinking that I remember when I first watched Avatar The Last Airbender, um, <laughs> and like the first time Katara and Zuko were on screen together, and like there was chemistry there. Yeah, there was. was. Like, that would be really interesting, but also very bad, you know? And like, so fiction, ship it. you know, romance fiction would give you a way <laughs> to explore that, you know, but it's a safe way that, like, you could see how the how the relationship would go, and it probably wouldn't go well, but... Yes, it would. Um, it would have been fine. Learn about it. What? It would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could have, maybe, you know, but, like, there would have been a lot of work that would have had to go into that relationship, uh, because they are very different characters, and they come with very different values and they have very different temperaments um and but just to be able to to see that kind of thing play out um in a way that doesn't personally affect you like it, it's like i want to see that kind of relationship but i don't want to be involved in that kind of relationship you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. because for me it would just be exhausting and possibly dangerous you know but um but to have of an outlet for that kind of um, exploration can be a good thing, but there's always the tipping point where it becomes romanticized as an ideal thing that does make the crossover into people wanting it in real life, and then, then it can be toxic. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, because now, now that you're saying that, like, it strikes me also that there's an interesting dichotomy between, like, what's considered positive or what's considered wish fulfillment period for women versus what's considered wish wish, wish fulfillment for men um and like you know there's the whole idea that like batman is a mary sue and um you know that that like a lot of these like you know die hard is total wish fulfillment fantasy and, and all these things um but they're not recognized as such um 
I just did, do either of you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Because I think like the diehard narrative of Brooklyn Nine Nine kind of has like rekindled to some degree the conversation about it being a Mary Sue. Yeah, yeah, like like um, Andy Samberg's character like loves Die Hard, and it's like so goofy, sillyish that this is like what he's wanted to be his entire life. Like it's it's very, it's it's very like, yeah. Not, I wouldn't say like they they flat out have a conversation about it being Mary Sueish, but like it's so comical that that's his like idea of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also the manic pixie dream girl narrative, which is very much a lot of a lot of the time it's wish fulfillment for men, mm-hmm. um, and it's just like the woman is is very clearly just a device that is used by the male writer usually to explore the male character. Um, and isn't really treated necessarily with the respect of a full person. And I was just thinking of something else, but it vanished. So, <laughs> um, anyone else has thoughts on that? Yeah. I'm... Oh, Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, I was thinking of. Because I remember when I watched that movie, um, I watched it with an ex-boyfriend who was like, this is like a really awesome movie and I, you know, want to watch it together and see what you think. And like, then while we were watching it, like I could tell like he was seeing it through my eyes for the first time and he realized, you know, that like a lot of it is like all this ridiculous wish fulfillment for men of like having two hot girls fighting over this loser guy for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) And, um, and just having him, you know, be ultimately triumphant in the end. Um, and, yeah, and so there are different kinds of wish fulfillment, but everybody, you know, reads a lot of their fiction is escapism and wish fulfillment. Um, and there are ways that, you know, romances can be depicted toxically and other wish fulfillment can be depicted toxically. Mm-hmm. Um just to stand up for Scott Pilgrim for one sec, though, um, <laughs> in the comics, I think I the movie did the it a little differently. Comics. But in the comics, though, like kind of the the main revelation at the end is Scott actually realizing kind of exactly what you're saying, um, SM, that like he's been living in this. Oh, I need Ra- Ramona to be everything that I need her to be, and like this has all been like my perspective on it, and like oh my god, I've been a colossal yeah, jerk. Have that at the very end, you know, where he like you know. Yeah, he actually like in, in the self-respect, but I think he doesn't he end up with one of them anyway. Uh, like, I I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but I do know that he fights the Negascot, which he does not do in the movie. In the movie, they kind of like bro it out, um, and uh, mm-hmm. which was funny in the movie. And it was an Ed Wright, it was a very Ed Wright kind of beat, but it was um, kind of it kind of missed the point of the like no, he has to fight the Negascot because the Negascot is like the him that he doesn't want to be anymore. <laughs> but the anyway. guy that he encountered when he went into the pit at Dagobah. Yeah, like, you, yeah. Have, to, you have to face off that against yeah. that. Just um, to bring it all around, Mae Whitman plays her ex-girlfriend in that movie, and uh, Mae Whitman voiced Katara in Avatar, so hey, everything oh, is, a, it's it's all connected. <laughs> a small little fandom world. <laughs> yeah, but so... Let's 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 get specific. So, what are our like top? Um, if if I guess if we were gonna say like, here's a romance that hits a lot of the. Um, again, I'm using positive in an, an artistic uh, sense rather than like a moral judgment sense. Um, like the the positive notes to 
as a good fandom romance. Um, what would you guys suggest? Good communication. Like, good communication is my kink. Is that... Is that so weird? basically, like, um, Leslie Nope and Ben Wyatt from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, and Madam oh, Secretary and her husband, Henry. Um, like, they talk, they disagree, but they have productive conversations, and it, it never feels like they're on the verge of destroying everything, you know? Like, they just work together to overcome obstacles together. Um, so for me, I'm thinking, like, I don't know, I mean, now that you, like, brought up the whole Zutara thing, like, that's, that's, that's Zuko and Katara from Avatar, which is not yeah. a ship that eventually sails, uh, to use the parlance, but, like, <laughs> I think it's, it's very, um, it's very interesting the way it's presented, because it, it is sort of like a possibility that goes sort of unexplored, but is, like, it's almost compelling because nothing explicit I mean that doesn't sound right nothing like nothing romantic or even remotely romantic happens between them like the the nope. most in emotionally intense they get is well it's quite emotionally intense because they're talking about Zuko's moral future um but um it's it like they never really get to the place of even contemplating romance and yet there is like a lot of romantic tension perceived between them and I think that's a really interesting, just like a writing choice, you know, that like it was presented in this way that like this could happen or, or, you know, um, it could not if we decide not to go that way. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's hard for me to believe that people watch Avatar and don't see any sparks between Zuko and Katara. I, I don't know how they could not, but it's like. It's also like, when I watch it, I'm like, there isn't actually anything here, you know? Is it all in my head? Where is this coming from? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way that's done. But then again, you know, I also like Zuko and, and Mai. Um, his... Yes, I love them. They were yeah. so they're, they're a good relationship. Prince and, Prince and Princess of Darkness. Yes, exactly. They have they have a, a, a conversation at one point where they're, like, hugging and watching the sunset. And, like, they're both like, ugh. This is so ugly. Ugh, color. <laughs> and it's like, you two stupid teenage loser posers. Like, you know, but it just kind of, it just kind of works. And actually, I will recommend, there's um, a bunch of Avatar comics that come out post after the series, but there's one that deals with May in particular and her family and her, you know, her place in the Fire Nation and all that. Um, and I actually thought that that comic did a really good job of, of kind of exploring why the two of them work together. Um, there's a lot of, like, spoiler stuff in there in terms of what's happening in the comic, but, like, it was very um, affirming for me of, like, May as an independent character and also somebody who can have a relationship with Zuko, so I was very into that. Not necessarily ships that I'm into, but I was just sitting here thinking, like, that Marvel has, like, a huge problem in the movies mm. where none of their couples communicate and, like, it's an active plot point that, like, the couples are not on the same wavelength ever. I'm just thinking Yeah, of... but also none of the characters communicate particularly well, so... I know, like, but, like... That's I, the I'm... entire plot of Civil War. It's just, I like... know, I'm just, like... I just watched Infinity... Um, Infinity 
what is it? Infinity, Infinity War. War. No, Infinity War again, uh, because it went on Netflix, and yeah, that movie had like way too many battles for a movie that ended in a snap. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but like, like when you like think of like Tony and and Pepper and Peter and Gamora, like when Peter and Gamora, like literally, they do not communicate with each other. Like it was so frustrating, and I'm just like, these are not relationships. These are like what what guys imagine relationships are because you're not listening to her and like that's okay and like obviously it's not okay because both of them f up the plot points but like i don't know i just find it really irritating and like we should not you know have these plot points that are just like in movies that are just like yeah we're in love but we never ever ever have anything to do with each other like on our own wavelengths like these are just bad relationships like Please listen they to each other. Like they feel Although, like high school I did relationships. Like, I did like Asian and Scarlet Witch. I didn't. I thought she was being really selfish. Mm. Well, I'm the thing sure. about Vision and Scarlet Witch, I, th- I think that works kind of depending on how much you are willing to, like, act like there is a story there. <laughs> Which I personally was, just because I, I like Paul Bettany and I like Elizabeth Olsen and, like, I think they have chemistry. Yeah. But I don't think that, like, I don't actually think it's, like, a well-written romance, you know? I think they just kind of, like, they fast-forward through a lot of it, and there's a lot of, yeah, like, they, well, yeah, like her weird, losing her so. accent. Yes. <laughs> her they accent didn't develop it on screen, but I did like that at least they, they start out the movie, basically, like, with the premise that they've spent the last, you know, however many months together. Um, and they didn't, they didn't want to tell anybody about their relationship because they wanted to make sure that it w- worked and that they actually spent time working on it together. And then he was, he's like, well, I think it works. What do you think? Um, and, like, even though I acknowledge there are limitations of, you know, not actually showing it on screen, I like that they at least gave a nod to the fact that they had spent time on it themselves as characters. I don't think I don't think I have any problem with their development aside from her accent. Um, <laughs> it's just really annoying. It's a very bad plot point. Um, but I think that like the fact that it is all off screen and then they're like, oh, okay, but like literally, if you just do this one thing, then like Thanos won't win, and like she's literally deciding that like her romance is more important than the entire u- half of the universe being wiped away, which, like, obviously, like, I-, I feel for you. I really do, Scarlet Witch. But, like, your love is not more important than half of the known universe. Sorry. Well, in the end, she does go, you know, and, and try to destroy it. It just... But they could have done it ages before. They could have done it ages before. Sorry. Yeah. Like, the whole movie yeah, is... But it stupid. also makes sense for Scarlet Witch's character because, like, she has no one else. Like, she's part of the Avengers, but she doesn't have personal relationships with anybody else. Like I know, is... but it's still selfish. <laughs> Sorry. But the, the thing is also, well, yeah, not, not to get into it. I, I, you know, I, but I do think that your larger point about Marvel generally not having very successful romances is a really good point. Um, I would put, uh, if you watch the TV show, Fitzsimmons on there as a successful romance. Oh, Although, <laughs> so by the skin of their but... teeth. <laughs> um, and maybe current circumstances accepting, but um, 
but in the movies, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I know people definitely do ship um, Peggy and Steve. That was never a huge appeal for me because that would that kind of fell into the like oh well they're the two main leads of the movie so of course they're gonna fall in love so like it didn't really work for me but i know it does for some people um personally i even howard stark i think based on agent carter it seems pretty clear that howard stark had a big old crush on steve howard stark has a lot going on Uh, (laughs) i think agent carter makes that perfectly clear um but i think that like you know for me and i i don't think i'm alone in this like the relationship with um uh sharon carter is oh god so shoehorned and ridiculous and based on seemingly nothing other than like oh you're related to the woman i loved 40 years ago 80 years ago um and here in front of me at this moment yeah um not into that um and then you know they go the whole like i i'm personally not opposed to the whole um Banner and Natasha romance. It's actually one of my favorite romances that they've done. Um, And I know that there is a huge contingent of fandom that does not like it at all. Oh, shut up, stupid contingent of fandom. You're wrong. That's the only romance that's actually, like, makes I really appreciated it. And people say that the fact that she ties her self-worth to her ability to bear children is a really toxic way of thinking. And I'm like, yeah, that is the point. I agree. I actually thought that that was very much blown out of proportion because it was like, well, yeah, like, it's obviously not healthy. Like, like, clearly, you know. They see themselves as monsters, even though they're not. We know as viewers that they are not. And like, that's just part of why they connect well. Yeah. Yeah. In case anyone has either missed or forgotten um, Age of Ultron, which is a a very complicated movie. um, (laughs) I did better than the first one. I'll go on record saying uh, that. I absolutely did not. um, I know. But but it's it's interesting because after the first Avengers, everybody kind of expects Natasha and um, Clint. um, um, I was about to say Bullseye, not Bullseye, Hawkeye, to get together. Um, turns out Hawkeye is married and has a million kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what happens when you develop your characters and don't give us any of the backstory for those characters. Right, exactly. Never <laughs> hit to this at all. I like want to go on a really long side rant about why I like Hawkeye and why I hate that he gets so much hate, but I won't. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't just. I hate him in the movie. No, I think like it's really interesting how they depict him in the movies because like the whole point of of him is that his whole life isn't being a superhero. And, like, that's okay. Like, you have Tony, who literally, like, Pepper is, like, every five seconds, like, Tony, we're done because you can't stop being Iron Man. But instead you have Hawkeye, who's, like, the perfect foil, who's just, like, no, like, there are, there's, like, my superhero life, but also, like, I have my own life. And that's probably the healthiest separation of anyone in the old films. That's true. Uh, but no, I, I think honestly, that. I think I just don't I, like Jeremy Renner, oh, so I think that might be why. But... Oh, I like him. Why don't you like him? I don't know. I, I think it was. I think it was like some interviews I saw with him, and I was like, "You seem like kind of a jerk." And yeah, I haven't so many. All the one I've seen is the one where he was talking about how he used to be a makeup artist, and he said which three things to do on your face if you don't have time to get ready. In the <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was. If anybody's wondering, it was eyebrows, eyelashes, and lips. I would say eyebrows, eyelashes, and concealer, but okay it depends on your skin i guess but so. yeah it was like such a funny i was just yeah. like that's really hilarious like you made some comments about like how how uh how what's her name um 
Black Widow is uh, is such a slut in the movies. And then oh. he apologized for it, but his apology was one of those apologies where it's clear he didn't quite understand what he said wrong. So, yeah, people were down on him for a little while about that. Um, I mean, I'm not saying he's an evil person. Just it, yeah, yeah, no, he rubs I, me the wrong I, way. I liked him in the, in the second movie much better. The problem was that what we got in the first movie didn't quite track with what we got in the second movie. Yes. It felt like they hadn't actually planned out his character in any way, and they just kind of threw him in, and then they gave him and Black Widow, who both did not have prior origin stories coming in, and you didn't know these characters super well, and then they gave them a relationship that seemed to have some kind of history that you don't know anything about, and it just didn't work for me at all. Yeah, I mean, for me, so so just to yeah go back to that for a second, it's like, what basically happens is uh, Natasha and um, Bruce Banner decide that they, they kind of have like a moment, and uh, he says, well, I'm a monster, and she says that she's a monster too, and the reasoning, her reasoning behind that is that um, she has had her reproductive organs removed as part of her um, uh, red, no, I was about to say Red Sparrow, it's Black Widow, Black Widow training. Um, and, but like, it seemed very odd to me that nobody was getting why she would connect, like, her creation as an assassin and, like, her being denied the ability to be anything else with being a monster. Like, that didn't seem like a, a tough leap to take, and yet it wasn't... it didn't seem to translate for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it ha also has to do with perceptions of, of it coming from Joss Whedon. Mm, yes, that's true. might be, a, you know, a big part of it, and, like, maybe he didn't actually intend it the way I read it, but the way I see it, you know, is just... You know, it's a critique of that societal mentality yeah. of women not being worth anything unless they can bear children. Yeah. I hear that. Um, well, what about... We haven't actually discussed, like, so many... Pos what is another positive um, romance outside of Marvel? Because they're annoying. Uh, Jamie and Brienne? <laughs> okay. No! Yes! <laughs> No, that is not. Oh my gosh, I just I haven't gotten like... far enough. <laughs> In the books, someone... they are totes OTP, FYI. I just saw someone tweet like, "I don't even know what Game of Thrones is about anymore," and I'm just sitting here like, honestly, same. Like, at this <laughs> point, like I'm just tired of like, I just want to know how the hell they don't die at the end. Um, but like, <laughs> of the Thrones. And like how Jamie and Cersei die because they're definitely going to die, both of them probably yes. together. Um. Which means that Brienne doesn't get a happy ending, and I want Brienne to have a happy ending. And like, I know, I know it's like a weird relationship, but like Pod would make more sense, even though that's really strange. And like, I don't actually ship it, but like, he'd make her happier than Jamie dying would. Yeah, but she wants Jamie. Yeah, but not what you want isn't always good for you. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie wants his twin sister. So, slightly messed up there, just a little bit. Just a little. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, my my favorite romance is actually like directly from a romance novel that's not fandomy at all. So that's no. But so super... what? So what works about that for you? Um, it's from well, I mean, someone actually tweeted us about the Borakostigan saga, so I know we're going to talk about that. So that's one of my other ones. But um, Joe Beverly was a historic fiction romance writer, and um, in her book devilish um it's like this this fifth 
this fifth book in a series about a family. So like each book goes through each sibling's um, storyline. And throughout it, you find out that like the oldest brother, who's like this marquee um, in England and like uh, the Georgian um, uh, era, like he, for some reason, he doesn't want to get married. So he's like spends the whole five other books essentially trying to like manipulate his siblings into having children so that he doesn't have to have an heir of his own. Um, and then like in the last book, you find out that like this really powerful guy, essentially like he saw his mother murder her, his, like his sister when like from postpartum and like the whole book is about finding like a counterpart who is not only like very, like she's a very strong woman and very, not into like his manipulating people around him to do what he wants sort of shit. Um, and I don't know. It's just like a really interesting look at like how she, she's like from the first five book, first four books in the series, she like wove this narrative where like, he's this very dangerous, like um, associate of like the King of England. And he's like a power behind the throne. And then you find out like, yeah like you kind of you knew about it in the earlier books but like it's never been explored before that like literally he can't be in the room with a child like without like having like anxiety attacks because like he saw his mother choke for his newborn little sister when she was dying um so you have like it's a little bit of like the woman saving him except it's not written that way at all like there's no moment in the book where like the heroine is just like here hold a baby get over your childhood trauma like there's a lot there's a lot of discussions, like, it's not just sex like most romance novels are. I mean, there is there is some sex, because that's what romance novels are sometimes built for. Actually, I noticed in her, she passed away recently, Joe Beverly, but, like, I've noticed in her more recent books, like, she would just put, like, one or two plots, like, sex scenes in, and, and she'd be like, I like the plot, look, read my book. Um, so that was always interesting. But I just think, like, I always like those stories where there's a equal power dynamic between people. So, like, even though I, I'm, like, crapping on the Marvel movies, like, Peter and Gamora, like, are balanced as characters. Like, there's no... It's not Twilight, like, where one is clearly going to overpower the other and, like, dominate the other for their entire life. Like, Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and I don't mean, like... <laughs> I don't mean, like, BDSM dominate. Like, clearly, like, I, I really don't like stories where, like, there and like I don't like Cinderella stories or like rich boy poor girl stories like it doesn't no matter how across like, the, you have that relationship it'll never be an I think it was done well Crazy Rich Asians was done well though oh yeah but Crazy Rich Asians like also this like uh, aside from like the the family money like both of them are professors like back in New York they're on an equal level so they start off their relationship on an equal level like when relationships from their like starting point like I think that's the whole point of Crazy Rich Asians that like their relationship isn't dictated by his family like his family life even though like obviously it isn't in the books it definitely is but like um, but that's not how it started like the essence of the romance isn't based on a power like dynamic that's uneven yeah, I actually, I was going to mention Crazy Rich Asians at some point, because I did really like the romance in that, um, partly because it's just like, they're already together, and mm. they have chemistry, and it's like they get along, and we don't have to do the whole, like, it, it's almost like, won't they, will they, as opposed to, like, will they, won't they, which for some reason is is more appealing. Um, 
but you know so much of it like does come down to just i think the grasp of character and you know because if if you can like read a a motivation a, a lot of the time in like and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't um, limit this to romance because obviously poor writing is not limited to romance by any stretch of the imagination, um, and every genre has their like easy outs that they take to you know to get to the story that they want. Um, but I I think that when that does happen in romance, it like comes very much at the expense of character and char sometimes character development. Um, like to me, that was actually like a, a big problem in the Hunger Games that, um, so much of what, you know, had been developed as character work was kind of turned into like, well, uh, you know, she's going to be with this guy instead of that guy. So here's how we're going to set that up. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all going all gonna to be perfect in the end with this particular relationship. And that's really why it's all okay in the end, even though it's not. Um, and I, I had very have very very complicated feelings about Hunger Games um but to me that was like part of why part of the problem was that like it a got kind of subsumed by the romance and b that the romance sort of stopped following character lines um and became kind of its own entity you know what I mean well I feel like they they did deliberate things to change the characters from yeah. who you knew like you yeah. know they oh, had Gail's evil now. undergo I have no whatever in order to, to be someone else yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna go back to what I mentioned in the first I really wonder how much of that is that a YA book is written one way and then like they decide you know like oh this one-off that you submitted to this editor which maybe you wanted it to be a three story a three book trilogy but like i don't think that's like anybody's intent ever at least not for a first book is to be like yes i have a trilogy or i have seven books i want to write like it's just like getting that first book published and i wonder how much of like the romance plots that we think don't make sense are kind of like out of necessity of like somebody some author trying to like fit in mm -hmm. extra pages yeah, I, uh, I've read books, even books that I like, and even books that I have liked the ending to. Um, even, even like, Taka, even a romance uh, story that I, I like the ending to. Um, like, there was, you know, the middle book in the trilogy, I was like, why is this here? <laughs> you know? Like, halfway through the middle book in the trilogy and, like, through the first third of, this, of the last book, I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is just stretching the pasta way too thin, and it didn't need to be here. And I think one of my favorite things is like the the in YA personally like the 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 idea that duologies can happen. Um, like I will I will point to Lee Bardugo's Six of Crows duology, which is phenomenal, and is they're hefty books, but there is like very little fat on them. They they are are quite effective, and um, they also do romance pretty well. I think um, all all kinds of romance like those so are I like. Just I just finished her Grishaverse and I hated the romance. Like, yes, I. It was so annoying, and I'm just like, this is annoying. Why do we need this? Go away. Stop. Everything. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think Lee Bardugo is actually an incredibly talented author. Um, I think that the Grisha trilogy is, um, which is her her first set of books. Um, I do think they're good. I think they're very solid YA romance, the YA fantasy. But I think they very much read like her early. Explore like her figuring out how to write novels, um, which no shade, I still haven't figured out how to do that yet. Mm -hmm. So you know, um, but but to me, it's like very 
you know, you see where the plot points are, you see where it would all like kind of comes to being. Whereas in um, the Six of Crows books, she kind of finds, I think, some confidence or, or whatever, um, just to like really go for it. And it, it's so different and so much more um, effective and powerful. I've read Six of Crows on your recommendation before I read the Grisha trilogy, and now I kind of want to go back and reread them because mm-hmm. now I understand things so much better. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, why can these people do all this stuff? Oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> I still don't know what what is what, like, of the magic stuff. Like, I don't remember who is what until, like, I'm halfway through each of the books, but that's just my brain not remembering things. Yeah. We, um, should, have a, we should have an episode about magic. Yeah. Just do that. Um, I was actually... I keep on, like, thinking about it. It's like, what do you guys think about, like, Luke and Leia's relationship? Ship it! <laughs> <laughs> it just came up over, I, I think, a, a couple, a few days ago. Um, somehow, it came up in conversation at home, and, like, my mom was like, it's just really creepy. And I was like, well, they never really get together. And, you know, and, and, she, and, he was, and she was like... One of my brothers was like, but they did kiss. And, and my mom was like, ew. <laughs> and I was like, well, she was only kissing him because she wanted to annoy my hand. So there was, like, really never any Oh, sorry. Just... always about it. I meant, I meant Leia and Han. And I'm just really that tired. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip of epic proportions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Leia and Han are... I mean, I feel like they almost work almost counterintuitively you know i feel like if i had been a star wars uh fan in the 1970s when i was like a teenager i would have been like so against that and so pro luke and leia because like that was what like was supposed to happen right and then like han suddenly has all this amazing chemistry with leia and it's like what are you doing here um and then it's like oh well luke and leia can't get together anyway so stop it Um, (laughs) but i think you know I know that a lot of people, okay, Luke and, um, Han and Leia's relationship is actually one of the, one of the things that I think the new canon has, um, done an interesting job with, not necessarily in the movies, but in the extended, uh, stuff. Like, there, there's a book by Claudia Gray called, um, Bloodline, which is, in my opinion, like, if you're gonna read any of the Star Wars novels that are out now, read that one, because it's actually really good. Um, and she just has a very keen understanding of, like, two people who love each other a ton and are also really different and need to, like, do their own thing sometimes, and that doesn't impact their relationship as a, it's not like a negative on their relationship or they're not in love, it's just that they're also still their own whole people. And, um, I think there are hints of that in the movies, um, but definitely, definitely it's, like, one of the, uh, I guess more you can you you can interpret their relationship in a bunch of different ways right it's like people who are like oh Ron and Hermione would never last because they're so different and it's like well they do so shut up (laughs) you know know? (laughs) Han and Leia I I personally think they would need counseling she didn't say they wouldn't last right there there are (laughs) a lot of 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 relationships that are helped with a counselor and yeah probably most relationships relationships, solid um yeah, but I think, like, Han and Leia, so, so to me, it's like, um, I, I almost enjoy the, um, like, people tackling that relationship as two opposites who can work, as opposed to, like, um, 
in the movies, though I like them in the movies, but in the movies it's kind of like, oh, the chemistry is just so intense, you know, like that's what, you know. And I, I, I like the, the, the later stuff. I mean, also it happens to be that Harrison and Carrie were sleeping together um, Spoilers. While, while they were filming <laughs> their best romantic scenes. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> but there you go. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, yeah, but I, also the the writing the uh, original trilogy uh, was obviously much better than the writing in the prequels with the terrible Anakin Padme romance, which ugh. was just like the worst of all romance novel writing, you know. And like when people say that they don't like romance, that's the kind of romance they're thinking romance is. No, no, don't don't call that romance novel writing. That's like really that's like I know. I'm saying like that's the that's the perception. That's the stereotype. That's that that's what a man thinks that floor. romance writing is. Yeah, the bar for Anakin and Padme's relationship is the floor, and like <laughs> it, like it's below. It's like the basement's floor. Like you're on the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've seen like two really interesting. It is conversations. the bottom level of Coruscant, guys. Oh my god. Um, isn't the whatever i was gonna say is in the bottom level of course not like the core of the earth but whatever um (laughs) but i've seen two conversations that are really interesting recently and it's like a lot of women who are trying to like reclaim padme's narrative because like honestly like i loved padme growing up like i know people are just like oh the the prequel sucks but like honestly like padme was such like a strong fierce character outside of her romance like she was pretty kick-ass like she was a queen she was um a politician she was a warrior like she did so much stuff and then it was like oh anakin i'm crying uh uh so like there's been like a lot of talk on twitter lately about because there's a new uh book coming out about her and like and um and people were just like well of course we want a book about padme she's the only good thing about like the prequels like she Liam Neeson was pretty good. But Liam Neeson was good. I, I was thinking as I said that I was like, and, oh, and Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor was okay. And, I mean, like he was a good, he was a good Obi Wan, but like his whole, oh, Anakin. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> so like, there's been like a lot of talk about how the prequels actually, because there's so much hate towards the prequels, we're not like allowed to like applaud Padme for being who she is when she's not with Anakin. Um, and she was supposedly only fourteen when the the prequel started yeah and yes she i mean natalie portman was only 18 in um the first movie i think or 19 holy moly (laughs) i think i could be wrong about i'm pretty sure she was pretty like i don't think she was over 22 or whatever it was when she's dealing with little annie um but yeah (laughs) my mom is always whenever we mention the prequel she's like yeah but the little kid he was so cute what happened to him? <laughs> Didn't he leave the industry because he was getting so much hate? Um, I think yeah. that's a rumor. But yeah, I've heard that he had like he had some mental health difficulties because of the some hate that he was getting because of his role in that movie, which is just terrible. Little kid. Um, but then the other conversation that like I've been thinking of because you said like it's bad romance writing. Like I saw someone tweet. I think it was like yesterday about when you call something reading like bad fan fiction like that's such an insult because it just means that you have no sense of what is good and what is bad you just think like everything like the the stereotype is that it's bad so like that it's trashy romance novel like everyone everyone when i don't tell people like yeah i have five thousand dollars worth of romance novels the only reason i know i have five thousand is because i count them sometimes like to see 
what I'm gonna do when I move. <laughs> um, like honestly, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I move. Like I'm have, gonna have to like, I don't know, cry. Um, but like, there there isn't like yeah, there's smud and everything, but like you can still have a really good plot even if it's romance based. And like, I mean, it's such a discredit to romance writers and fanfic writers to like have it like the stereotype is that like your trashy wish fulfillment like as if like luke skywalker isn't every like boy's like wet dream and batman like how are how are superhero stories not wish fulfillment also it's just a different sort of wish fulfillment and you just don't have any nuance i mean i wanted to be a jedi when i grew up like that was my thing same but but he's such a mary sue luke no, uh, I, I mean, love... he is, and most of, I mean, honestly, <laughs> most boys in, like, fiction, um, in classic fiction are, like, you're telling me that the Arthurian legends aren't, are realistic, <laughs> you know? Like, no, they're absolutely not, even once in Future King. Like, it's in the Odyssey. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and, and by the way, you know how, like, all the girls turn out to be princesses, and that's how you know they're special? Um, all the boys turn out to be secret princes. Like, that's how they... <laughs> like knew that people were valuable because they had a parent who was either a god or a or a king or something um so this is definitely not like a yeah. new thing it's just that we we kind of have twisted it so that it's only bad if women do it um yeah but um i think um let's go through some of what our um listeners said um we put out a call on twitter for some suggestions and thoughts on romance um so we have um, Love Kayla uh, says that she likes romance and that uh, I think sometimes it's important to drive the plots, but I hate when authors use that in place of having real any real substance in, in their novels. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? Sounds like The Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> or or any I way that like... Movies. I thought the movies were really good because I could keep track of the plot a lot better. <laughs> Um, the movies horrified me. Um, not yeah, I never finished the the movies. Yeah, no, oh, they were so good. I mean, I, I liked them. Like, I, I liked the first one, but I, I like it was very viscerally upsetting for me. Um, yeah, I cried every time I watched that movie, uh, and I like saw it like four times in theaters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So Shimon says that he likes the relationship portrayed in the Varkozigan so- series, Cordelia's honor between the two main characters. So that would be. Um, Cordelia, yes. obviously, and Errol, 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 the Rorko's game. Errol, sorry Aral. guys, oh, my apologies. Um, there's a general tone of support, understanding, and acceptance of differences and mutual respect. Yeah, is... and I also want to mention that I really like the fact that um, Miles Rorkosigan, who becomes the protagonist after the Cordelia books, um, who's a Cordelia son, um, he starts out with a particular love interest and then it's made pretty clear from the get-go that it's not going to happen um and then he goes and he has has numerous you know other relationships and eventually he finds his wife but there is not that you know this is my one true love um that kind of vibe um and i really appreciated that because it's uncommon to see that particular narrative play out Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also that like his wife, like she literally like sets him right. Like he's this protagonist, and he's so smart, and he's so brilliant, yeah. and he saves the day all the time. And she's literally yeah. like, "What? 
are you doing? Like, you cannot <laughs> treat me. Like, if you think that you, like, you don't know what love is if you think that what you're doing is love. Like, it's such a phenomenal, like, plot for so many reasons. Um, but also, like, Cordelia and Rawls. I don't know. I don't know if it was Shimon, if he read um, The Gentleman, um, what is it? Gentleman uh, Joel. Gentleman Jolie and, and the Red Red Queen. Red Queen. Um, I think that that was like that relationship in the book. I, I don't want to give spoilers away, but like that relationship itself, like the titular one is really good, but like it also like spent a lot of the book exploring what it, Cordelia and Aral's relationship was and what it wasn't. And like how it retconned a lot of stuff. I think it retconned it, but it retconned it in ways that like I felt made sense. And also it retconned it in a way that like a writer writing something in the eighties versus now. Cause I think the first book came out in the eighties. Right. Yeah. So like versus no in this, way she could have depicted that relationship the way it right. was. Or, like I yeah. think that like and probably not even like the way it was then. Like she probably didn't even have the nuance and like to I mean not maybe she did, but I don't know what the author's life is like. But like it didn't seem like the books like I think that the groundwork was there all the time and the retconning worked. It's not like a J.K. Rowling situation where it's like a random like, yeah, and that happened. This is like, oh, this is a character who like has spent her life with another character on like in retrospectively looking back at her husband and why she loved him and what like their romance was. And I just think it's like probably one of my favorite like sequels, I guess, to a series where like you spend like half of the book exploring what her relationship with her husband. Yeah. Is I'm like. not the biggest fan of that book just in, um, because most of, of the books in that series are they have a bunch of different plot lines and you know the A, B, C, D, E plots eventually you know all come together mm. and it's beautiful um, and in Gentleman Joel there is just basically the one A plot and a small tiny B subplot yeah um, I mean I think it's her it less just the romance plot and for me that wasn't enough I think, yeah, I think that was, like, a, a lot less nuanced than the other books in the series. But I think, like, for for me, like, I'm, I'm happy with getting... Because I, I do like romance novels. Like, I was happy with finding out that, like, about Cordelia's happy ending, like, after her, her life has been hell. Like... I kind of I, wanted a little bit more for her. Um... I don't, I don't, I felt, I felt like everything that happened was, like, what the character, like, would be happy with. Like, it, like... It felt like I don't know if we could get into this, but like it felt like you no, know, she she was tired and she was ready to stop doing certain things, and there was one thing that she had wanted forever, and that was like impossible then, but now she felt like if she stopped doing everything else, she could focus on that, and so like it just like everything fell into place, and like everything fell into place way too easily, but like, <laughs> but like I still liked it. I don't know. I know some people were really mad. Hey, you're allowed to like it. I just did not feel like it was a particularly strong entry, and it had a lot of potential that was unrealized. Mm. Did you like the romance in it? I liked some of it, yeah. I know I some did. people were really mad about it. They were like, how could yeah. this happen? And I'm like, oh, screw you. Your life doesn't end when somebody else's does. <laughs> I don't That's a say good anything. lesson in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else did our Twitter friends say? Um, so Dr. Erica Dreyfus uh, is actually recommends um, a coming book, which is um, 
The Dark Young Man, which was written by Jacob Dinizan uh, in Yiddish. Um, and there's about to be the first English translation of it that's coming out soon. Um, cool. Let's see cool. what the synopsis of that is. Do, 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 do. Infusing European literary realism into a Russian-Jewish love story, Jacob Dinizan's The Dark Young Man relates the efforts of a ruthless husband determined to preserve his authority over his wife's family by destroying the reputation of her younger sister's prospective bridegroom. Shady matchmakers... Oh, what's that like? And <laughs> criminal intrigues <laughs> conspire to keep the young lovers apart. The novel evokes themes familiar to readers of Dinizan's more famous colleagues and friends Shalom Aleichem and Ayel Peretz, Disparities between rich and poor, the impact of modernity and religious traditions, and the challenges of assimilation on Jewish identity. Very interesting. Um, and then, of course, Kressel recommends uh, the ultimate Jewish romance is Daniel Deronda, which is by um, Charles Dickens, right? That's, I saw uh, the miniseries. There's a BBC miniseries. I have the book on my shelf. I've been meaning to try it and reading it again. But um, it's, miniseries. It's George Eliot. Oh, it's right. Okay, I'm an yeah, idiot. Sorry, so, yeah. I was, no, sorry. I like was sitting here. I was like, that doesn't sound right. So I just had to Google that. Sorry, SM. Whatever. Yeah, it's no, like it's... An, a British author that I didn't read in high school. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's George Eliot, who is in fact a woman. Yes. Of course. Um, and yeah, the, the miniseries uh, stars Hugh Dancy. And um, I watched it with my mom and my aunt one time. And we were all just like riveted. It's, oh. it's so it's it really gets into Judaism and Zionism at the time, and like, it's really fascinating because George Eliot was not Jewish, and there's like some intro in the book that discusses, you know, why she took a particular interest in this. And yeah, so it's pretty fascinating. Cool. Um, yeah, and then uh, we just have, um, well, Rachel Stommel wants us to talk about Snape and his kind of romantic. Uh, perspective on things, um, which I do think is a topic worth addressing, but um, would take us another three hours into this podcast, so I think we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that for now. Um, and then Rachel Barenbaum suggests Bend in the Stars, which is, um, or A Bend in the Stars. No Goodreads, I already remember. Don't I don't need to log in. Um, the synopsis of that is... In Russia, in the summer of 1914, as war with Germany looms and the Tsar's army tightens its grip on the local Jewish community, Miri Abramov and her brilliant physicist brother Vanya are facing an impossible decision. Since their parents drowned fleeing to America, Miri and Vanya have been raised by their babushka, a famous matchmaker, always matchmaker, always, <laughs> there's always one, um, who has taught them to protect themselves at all costs, to fight, to kill if necessary, and always have an escape plan. By now, with fierce, headstrong Miri on the verge of becoming one of Russia's only female surgeons and Vanya hoping to solve the final puzzles of Einstein's elusive theory of relativity, can they bear to leave their, the homeland that has given them so much? And then other stuff happens also. Um, that sounds cool. That definitely yeah, sounds like... Yeah, they should like, leave. Um, sorry? Yeah, they should yeah, they, they should. Yeah, they definitely should leave, but also like, hey, come to America and be janitors. That's, you know, a very no, appealing prospect, fun. right? Um, uh, and that book comes out in May of this year. You can get an ARC if you want to look for that on Goodreads. So that's cool. Um, I have noticed more like kind of Jewish fiction in other genres um, as an aside. Maybe we should dedicate well, an episode to that at some point. I'll just spend the entire time talking about Cassandra Clare Simon. So. <laughs> <laughs> he is the, but I got actually really mad and I tweeted at her. She just 
well, I shouldn't get into this right now. But pretty okay. much, she had a new she had a new book that's about genocide, and like in a previous novella, he talked about like it, and this time he's just like standing there, like, yeah, cool, like we are down with genocide, and like in the last one, he like had like this big speech about the Holocaust, and it was just like bawling tears, and then this one is just like, this is bad, this is still bad. Just like, okay, where's the Jewishness? But okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Maybe the Goldsteins will eventually show any sign of being Jewish at some point. (laughs) I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen Fantastic. But I did like uh, in the first movie Queenie's romance. They're so cute. That takes a turn. Oh no! That takes a sharp left turn. Well, on that note, that's the end of this podcast. Forever is. I'm disappointed in everything. (laughs) Another episode at some point about you know. Um, breakups and like amicable ones and toxic ones and things like that. Yeah, um, but she episode. dumps the muggle. This no, no, it's not that. It's not that simple. It's, it's not that more simple. twisted than that. It's, oh, it's, no. it's also more complicated. I don't hate everything about it. I think there's some. I hate everything about it. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, honestly, we probably should talk about Fantastic Beasts at some point. Fantastic Beasts, Fantastic Beasts two at some point because there is stuff to talk about in that movie um but uh we'll we'll put it on the list harry potter play yeah oh you'll have to tell us what you think when you get back maybe we can do that yeah so um yeah let's uh let's wrap it up for now um because we're coming on almost an hour and a half so that is um that's pretty much our time because sm is running to go see harry potter and the cursed child which is awesome (laughs) um But, so for the rest of us, um, first of all, I do want to say, if you would like to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. Um, The reason we ask for five-star ratings um, is because iTunes actually, um, like, votes down your pod, like, they won't show your podcast uh, if people give you lower ratings, like, even four stars, um, which is why we ask for five stars. Not at all saying that we're immune from criticism or anything like that. Feel free to email us at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com if you have any, or uh, tweet us at jewishfangirls. Um, anything like that if you have any critiques, criticisms but for iTunes we would prefer it if you just uh, stay the five star course Um, we got a really nice review from uh, Chevy05 who says it is so nice to hear female Jewish podcasters discussing all things fandom I also appreciate the current obsession segment because it has introduced me to so many new shows, movies and books, keep up the great work so we really really appreciate that Chevy, thank you so so much yeah Um, and we've gotten some really nice reviews so if you want to leave us another one we will read it on the podcast. Um, Tamar, where can people find you on the internet, please? Uh, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Wright, and you can read my writing at Billboard and Forbes and some other places. Awesome. And SM, how about you? Um, you can find me on Facebook and um, on Amazon. Uh, I have an author page at amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. Fantastic. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at InkAsRain, and you can find my writing at Hypable.com. So that will do it for us this time. Let us know if you have any comments, questions, ideas, anything you'd like like us to talk about. Um, we will be back soon, and live long and prosper, everybody. Bye! <laughs>